Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 107 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and teaming up with me to take on the monumental Avengers Infinity War is my trusty sidekick, Patrick. What's up, everyone? I have been busting at the seams to talk with you about this movie, Patrick. And because of that, we are going to skip the what we've been up to section this week in favor of more Infinity War talk. But we are going to make a couple of quick announcements first. This past week, we released our April donor pick episode on Road to Perdition, but we also dropped a bonus episode for the patrons. We covered our top five heist films, and it was a lot of fun and pretty interesting to find out what each other picked. You can get access to all of that bonus content for as little as $2 a month, which is about half the price of a latte these days. So head over to patreon.com slash film and join up to hear that and all the other bonus content today. We also want to give out some love to other podcasts that we enjoy, so you may have heard some ads on recent episodes. One of these podcasts is Popcorn Theology. I, Aaron, recently co-hosted a live debate uh, on La La Land with one of the co-hosts of the Popcorn Theology podcast named James Harleman. So we really want you to check out their show. It's great. It's interesting. It's very different than most shows that you'll listen to when they're reviewing movies. So give them a listen and here's what they have to say. Have you ever watched a movie or TV show with your friends and noticed all kinds of symbolism, allegory, and Christian themes only to have your friends shrug it off? Well, maybe you need some new friends, but more likely you need popcorn theology. I'm Richard. And I'm David. And we're the hosts of Popcorn Theology, a podcast for movie lovers and theology nerds. Each week we dive into a different movie, TV show, or other topic and explore them from a biblical worldview. Check us out on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher or at popcorntheology.com. And remember, you are not a mindless consumer. That out of the way, Patrick. Let's just get into it because this is a big movie and there is a lot going on. Including there, some spoilers. So we need to announce that there are spoilers. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine doing a podcast spoiler free on this because writing my review when I saw this film was incredibly difficult. I think it was one of the most sh like streamlined, shortest reviews I've ever written because there's nothing to say. You're like, mm, uh, well, it was really fun and it was really cool when they did this thing. But then this other thing happened and I got a little bit sad mm -hmm. and then I got happy. But then this this one thing was really awesome and really amazing. Oh, my goodness. But the ending, I, like that's the review. Right. I mean, you just you essentially say the man, the credits were pretty epic and everything else was, too. But, you know, listen to the episode to find out more. <laughs> it's pretty much what I would do. Exactly. Well, like Patrick said, spoilers are in play. We're going to talk about this thing in depth. So hopefully you are one of the millions of people that has seen this movie since it's broken box office records. We're going to wager that you have and hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation. Patrick, as we always do, we start this thing off with our one word takeaway. Two and a half hours of movie. What did you come up with? I struggled with what my one word takeaway was because there were a lot. And some of them had four letters in them. Some of them had five or six. And I, I just, I had to settle on one and it really kind of was synonymous with the entire franchise as a whole, because the word I picked was earned. 
And we use that word a lot in movies to talk about motivations and whether or not a conclusion to a character's arc was, quote, earned, uh, whether a plot device and a resolution to said plot device was earned. In this case, what we have is a film franchise that started 10 years ago, 10, a decade ago. And every movie, every moment, every character development led to this moment, Avengers Infinity War. And the thing that has stood out to me about this franchise, about this this entity known as the Marvel comic universe, the MCU, is that it has been so patient with its world building, with each character's development throughout this last decade. And it leads us to this experience. And so you have this individualized experience as a as a watcher, as someone that is experiencing this, and you're going, wow, this moment wouldn't have been nearly as impactful had we not had that. Whoa, he just said that? I remember when that first came into being. And it wasn't, it's not just callbacks. It's that everything in this movie had a reason to be there. And it was because of the last 10 years. I mean, whether you like it or not, the MCU is probably the most successful franchise in cinematic history. And it's, and it's well-earned. My dad and I went to go see this this weekend. And it was really interesting to walk out and have him say, that was a really great movie. Who are all those people? Uh, you know, because he doesn't, he hasn't kept up with it. I mean, he's seen some of the bits and pieces from the, from the cinematic universe. He's seen the Avengers. I think he's seen Captain America, but this is a, this is a movie that like a comic series, like a comic franchise needs to be digested as a whole. You cannot piecemeal this thing. If you're going to get the full experience out of it, you have to watch, you have to experience everything. And in a lot of ways, that can be kind of frustrating. I remember when Ultron came out, I hadn't really been keeping up. And I remember asking you specifically, saying, is there anything I need to know from these other two movies that I haven't seen yet that's important in Ultron? And the fact is, I don't care. <laughs> it's worth going back through all these movies and getting caught up and finding out as much as I can in order to get this experience. Because Infinity War is just epic. It's just monumental, not only from a cinematic point of view, but from a franchise point of view. And it's all well-earned. Yeah, I echo a lot of that. And I will echo that again here after I do my one-word takeaway. Because I think you nailed some stuff that we really want to just hammer home and talk about in the in the idea of what it took to get to this point and what that really means. You, we use these words like historic and monumental Adjectives kind of fail us, really, for what this has accomplished, in my opinion. So I want to talk about that a little more. My word that I settled on is a word that I have used for all two years we've been doing this podcast, Patrick. Our listeners will know that I have had comic book movie fatigue. Um, so if you are new to the show, I'll just give you a little background. There it is. I had comic book movie fatigue. Um, I, you know, barely, th these movies are coming up frequently over and over and over we're getting two or three or four or five a year over marvel and dc and i was getting to the point where they felt very similar to me and i've never disliked a marvel movie maybe thor dark world comes the closest it's at the bottom of the barrel for me but they've all been at least entertaining at the very worst and so the thing that was holding me back patrick has always been this word stakes a lack of stakes. Being a comic book fan, I know 
how the comic books work. I know that characters go away and then they come back. They go away and then they come back as a new person taking up the shield or the mask uh, or the, the costume, whatever it may be. And I accepted that to an extent, but the way that the films have treated the stakes, I felt like at times has been a little bit too flippant and they haven't gone hard enough. And so that's what I was looking for going into Infinity War. And I was really excited about because I thought, okay, somebody might die. And that sounds morbid that I wanted somebody to die. But what I wanted is I wanted to feel the weight of the potential that somebody could die. Whether they actually die or whether they stay dead or not does not affect me as much as do I feel like it's a possibility in this universe that this could happen. And for the first time, I truly felt that. So while the Avengers and Guardians talk about defending worlds against ultimate evils, or in the case of Civil War, against their friends, we never have had that. And, and the movies kind of treat it like a joke. And so I really loved that this film, from the very beginning, throws us into that stakes world with Thanos immediately. I mean, Heimdall dies within the first three minutes of this film. He's gone. That sucks. But that's Idris Elba, and you just killed him. Like, he's dead. That was powerful. At that, The way that this whole first scene starts us off told me what I was in for. And, and I just settled into my seat, and immediately the presumptions I had in my head, um, the fears, the worries, honestly, it was all gone. Because I said, okay, this is what I was here for. I came for this. They're not going to treat it lightly. They're going to go hard, and I can buy it, and I can emotionally invest myself. And so I did, and you know, I came away with a rich, amazing experience because of it. So kudos to them for having high stakes. All right. So stakes and earned. Earned stakes. I like earned stakes. Hmm. Sounds like dinner. Well, the stakes are rare in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe, oh, but we got burned on this one. No, we didn't. Puns for day. <laughs> All right. So I want to start off then by talking more about what your one word takeaway was getting at. And that is this buildup. You know, you mentioned we had a decade of films, 10 years, 18 movies of hype that led to Infinity War. Yeah. This is an historically large star-studded cast. We have never seen anything like this in Hollywood ever before. So the expectations to be able to weave all of those solo films and those team films and all these stories that have been being told together and keep us entertained was an incredibly difficult task for Marvel to pull off. So my question for you is, do you think it succeeded? It sounds like you did. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit about what you you said your dad was feeling, because I really find that interesting, and I'm glad you got to have that experience as someone who doesn't have that knowledge versus someone who does, like maybe you and I. Well, when you look at a movie like Infinity War, I think what you get are two things that came from that, and they come from both my perspective and his. First of all, you get a really entertaining movie. You know, my dad had a fantastic time with it. And I will admit that some of that is that he enjoys the movie experience. I think he is one of those guys. He doesn't, they don't go a lot, but when they do, the movies they see are are very entertaining. He's enjoyed the superhero movies that he's seen, Avengers, Wonder Woman, things like that. I don't know his full gamut of what he's actually seen. So at the very 
outset after talking with him, I knew that the movie succeeded in being incredibly entertaining on its own without any of that backstory. But for me, knowing the things that I know about it and not as intimately as a lot of people do, I'm, I'm definitely one of the middle ground people who has casually enjoyed these movies and has not followed intimately all these different intricacies. There were definitely several moments during the film where people were laughing out loud and I was like, oh, must have been a joke that I didn't catch in Iron Man 2 back in 2010 or whenever. And, but what I saw was seeing how meticulous each character's, not just their motives, not just their one-liners, not just their their actions and the things that they do, but how they work together as a whole. That you have this ensemble that all had a purpose based out of their individual films or their ensemble films. So you had Tony Stark being Tony Stark that we've known for 10 years. We have Star-Lord and his group of miscreants and the Guardians doing what they've been doing because we know who they are from their solo movie, from their group movie. And I think what the MCU did was they they took care of the characters. They didn't just mash them up and say, hey, look, look at all these great people we can have on screen. Even the scenes as they switched, as we went from planet to planet or place to place to kind of um, capture these moments to kind of occupy or isolate these individual characters with other folks, we still got familiarity. We didn't get necessarily new stuff. And therefore, we didn't really have to have a lot of character development because the film trusted us to know these characters. We didn't need to know Star-Lord and Gamora's backstory to get that impactful moment that we did. We got so many different things because they trusted us as an audience and the history that they brought with them. So you use the word trusted us, and I would completely agree with that. But I want to talk about that because one of the biggest criticisms I've seen of the film thus far or heard from others that didn't connect with it as well is that it should be a standalone movie. And I've had an argument about this and I've been told every movie should stand on its own merit and no one, you should never have to have seen all of this, these 10 previous films in order to watch this movie. I would push back on that. And I would say what we have here is unprecedented. This is taking a sequel and exploding it times a thousand in well, or times 18 to be technical and what you have to work into one thing and to expect it to be a standalone movie that doesn't require any knowledge for people to get doesn't make any sense because that's not the story that Marvel is trying to tell. Mm -hmm. And that based on the genre and the way that comic book stories are told that this film has done an exceptional job of conveying what they were building to, which is to take 18 movies and throw them all together into a major universal war. So what do you, do you think, what do you think about that? How do you feel about, can this movie require people to have seen other movies and still be evaluated fairly for that? Or, well, uh, well if I took my dad's reaction, then I think it's fine. I think it meets both. I think it's, it's like having 
Look, when I when I was reading comic books heavily, there was this event series that happened during the summer, and Marvel was incredibly smart about it. They would create this three month storyline, uh, Avengers versus X Men, and I think that was actually happening when the first Avengers movie came to be. And what they would do is create these tie ins. So if you were reading Daredevil or you were reading Astonishing X Men or whatever, there would be issues of your run that weren't directly connecting to that main event series, but it would connect enough to get you to say, Hey, wait, what's going on over here? It would kind of derail the main story just long enough for you to go, Hey, I'm interested in that. That's part of the Marvel formula. And I think what happens is you, when you watch infinity war, you get a complete story. You get a beginning a middle and an end. But if you've been immersed in the MCU for the last 10 years, you get enhancements. To me, I think what you're doing as a first-timer like my dad is you're reading this event series, and it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. But if you're like me, you've also been reading these side stories. You've also been reading these different other individuals based on the characters that you like, and you get more of an enhancement. I remember I I read Spider Island, and I read the main event series, and it was Mm -hmm. fantastic. But then listening to podcasts about it and listening to other conversations, there were other things that people were mentioning happening in other individual books. And I was like, well, man, I missed out on a lot. I did. I missed out on a lot, but I didn't miss out on the main story. I saw what happened. It just got better when I read the rest of those those books. Oh, boy, do I love the comparison that you just made. I, I love it. I think you're you're right on the money. And that is why it frustrates me when people criticize it for this reason, because you're not evaluating it based on what it is. It is an adaptation of comic books. And I feel that you have to evaluate the film on its own terms and on its own merit. And I I don't think you can compare it to what a film that's not playing with comic book universe rules is because that's not what it is. And to me, it's like evaluating a horror film and saying that movie shouldn't have jump scares because I don't think jump scares fit in good horror movies. But if the movie is trying to tell its story with jump scares, it's a matter of does the movie utilize the jump scares in a way that is unique and well done? Not whether or not it has them, but whether or not it utilizes them well to tell its story. And that's where I feel like Avengers Infinity War lands the plane, so to speak, or lands the helicarrier, which we didn't get to see. Um, Is that I feel like it tells the story as a comic book adaptation in an incredibly immersive way. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. And it's, it's even more amazing for those of us like me who do know every single nuance of this series. Even with the fatigue, I picked up on all of it. And the second time around was even better for me because knowing where the story went, which the first time you're always kind of like, where is this larger narrative heading? Mm -hmm. That second time I focused on every moment. And so the only way I can think of for us to walk through this movie (laughs) is to kind of go groups by groups, maybe a little bit and talk about different, different sections and teams and, and collaborate. You got something else first. Well, I was going to say as a, as a primer to that, I just wanted to say how, impressed I was that I believe we were introduced to six different locations. And I I didn't count them, but there's a lot. I think there was at least six. And that says a lot about the world building that the MCU has created over the last decade. 
And again, even having an absence of films in my head, it was incredibly impressive to be like, oh, okay, this planet has a purpose. This location has a purpose. And just knowing that you weren't just throwing these locations together, just like you weren't throwing these groups together. It was all part of a plan. You know, it was like Thanos from a corporate mindset. He's like, it's all part of a plan. Right. And it all culminated to, to this movie. Yeah, that's an incredible point. It, it feels universal in scale. It doesn't feel confined to Earth or con mm -hmm. even confined to one specific spot in space that the guardians may be dealing with at a moment it's right it is truly planetary and universe hopping all over the all over the place mm -hmm. and i love that we got to meet these new locations um and, and see them and, and get to know them like like nevadalier or ned i can't pronounce it but the forge i mean yeah. that was an awesome moment to me and i'm sure for people who read the comics they were like oh i can't believe this is showing up in my movie kind of thing right um all right well, when we get into the characters, the first thing I want to mention, and I, I don't know how to bring, I don't know when to bring this up is the best time. So I'm just going to do it now. The other major criticism I've heard of the film that I want to refute, frankly, is that there's no character development other than Thanos. And we're going to save kind of Thanos for this next section and talk about him and his arc separately. But this idea that all that happens is based on the previous 18 movies. And so none of these characters really have any character development because we're so fast jumping between them and moving so quickly. Mm -hmm. I want to point out how I disagree with this. And I want to point out some moments that I truly believe prove the brilliance of Marvel, because I think that the ability to have these character development moments and to actually progress some of these character arcs within a glance or a few lines of dialogue or the minimal scenes that a character gets actually speaks to the brilliance and the, the accomplishment of the team more than it does say that it's a failure. The one that jumps out to me the most is, well, there's two that jump out the most, but the, the one of the two that jumps out the most is Tony and Steve. So Tony pulls out a flip phone when he's with Dr. Strange and Wong and he's being asked what we can do. And he says, well, there's one guy we can call and he flips out this flip phone. And it's a big joke because everybody laughs and they think, Oh, Tony has a flip phone. That's silly. And it has Steve Rogers phone number in it. Did you get the reference, Patrick? I did not actually, this is one of the ones that I missed. And I was like, okay, it's a flip phone and Tony's got it. And he's a tech mogul. So something's got to be up here. So I think this is what's really cool is that if you don't know the reference of what that flip phone is for, you think it's a joke and it's funny. So it plays for the audience that doesn't have deeper knowledge in a humorous way. Like, ha ha, this guy who has an Iron Man suit and is like the richest guy in the world tech wise has a flip phone. Laugh, laugh. But the deeper meaning here is that at the end of Avengers Civil War, not Avengers, sorry, Captain America Civil War. Steve mails Tony a package and inside that package is this cell phone with the message on it. Um, oh gosh, what did it say? Oh, it says, uh, no matter what, I promise you, if you need us, if you need me, I'll be there. Ah, and so this is right after they've had their breakup. They're not on speaking terms. They're on extreme 
opposite ends of this issue and the accords. Steve Rogers is a, you know, fleeing from the government essentially. So for him to send this to Tony and say, here's this phone, call me if you absolutely need me, I will be there. When Tony pulls that out and struggles to decide to use it, he's, he's having a hard time. It has a lot more weight because you realize what it means to him to actually be using that phone and calling that phone. And so it's really, I just, that kind of detail in these movies, to me, that's character development. That's speaking to a furthering of Tony and Steve's fallout and a moment that propels how Tony feels about Steve. Right. Yeah. The other one that I wanted to point out big time is regarding the Hulk. Lots of complaints about, Oh, we didn't get to see the Hulk and he didn't go crazy. And you know, the, his character has probably one of the top two or three non Thanos arcs in this film. In my opinion, I really, really loved that the movie started off in the wreckage of the Asgardian refugee ships. You and I did not like the way that Thor Ragnarok was told, right? We, we right. were fine. We enjoyed the movie as a comedy, but as part of the universe, we felt it was kind of a little bit of a loner and we really didn't appreciate taking lightly the way they did the ending of that film and the destruction of Asgard. So for me to start it off by showing us, Oh, guess what? Here's all these people that thought they got away and they didn't, and they treated it seriously. It felt like a course correction of sorts. Mm -hmm. And what we first see is the Hulk coming in. We get Loki saying that famous callback to the line from the Avengers. We have a Hulk. And what happens? The Hulk gets absolutely whooped. smashed. He gets, he gets, he does get smashed. He gets smashed by Thanos the same way that he smashed Loki back in the Avengers. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, he can't transform. He won't come out. And so for me watching that go throughout the film and leading up to the end where it's like, you need the Hulk. He, he won't come out. This is character development to me, Patrick. This is, Mm -hmm. Deep character development. Banner is dealing with PTSD. He is scared. He is, he has real legitimate fear that he can't beat Thanos. Plus, if you think about the story of Ragnarok, he spent like two years stuck in the Hulk form. He doesn't want to get there again. Mm -hmm. So I think that the film is littered with this subtle simple character development throughout it did you feel that way watching it or did you feel more like it was just kind of like eh, we're just going through the motions well i actually didn't pick up on on either i don't have that kind of criticism that that you're hearing but i didn't actually pick up on what you were saying either although i'm glad you mentioned that because it gives me kind of a different vantage point what i saw kind of goes back to my experience with the avengers and the thing that i enjoyed most about the avengers was the balance of giving equal character screen time. There's the one famous scene in the Battle of New York where the camera is panning throughout the big fight and it's kind of isolating each individual character. But I think we can agree that maybe an unintentional side effect of the success of the Avengers was that we got kind of a story arc from the Hulk. Like The Avengers was kind of led by his story arc. Absolutely. And in a lot of ways, what we have 
is popularity of the Hulk kind of rising. I'm a big fan of of the original with Edward Norton. I have really very few problems with it. I'm glad that Mark Ruffalo has taken on the role. I think he fits better in the MCU. But what we have in Infinity War is the potential to do that again. And we're talking about 20 plus characters fitting into a 160 minute movie. I mean, you're talking about at the very least eight minutes a piece at the very most 16 minutes of character development for each of those individual characters. And I think what would diminish its value, what would diminish its enjoyment is if you did that, if you started isolating on Tony Stark or on star Lord or on Bruce Banner, if you started kind of evolving one of those characters more than, than others, the movie would start to take on a different kind of form. And all of a sudden you'd kind of lose focus on the whole point, which is a team event. It's all about all the Avengers and all these guys that have built up this whole universe versus this one big dude. Right. And so I don't think it was a lack of character development. I think it was an intentional balance of each character in their own space and creating different nuanced moments. Like you mentioned of the different character development, character moments, like with the cell phone, like with the, uh, the, the stuff with Bruce, which I thought was pretty fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I wanted more Hulk, but I love the reason why we didn't get more Hulk. Right. And, uh, and so for me, I didn't find an issue with that because I thought it was purposeful as well. That's awesome. I, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I think that this one, you know, continues a sort of Hulk storyline that's been going on. As you said, it, it kept going in Ragnarok. Now it's keeping going now, which I really appreciate because we don't have that solo Mark Ruffalo Hulk movie. And instead of getting that, it's like we're getting a little bit extra storyline for him throughout the entirety of different films. Right. Kind of makes up for that. Even though if we were going to say one character has the most of a role in the entire Marvel universe, it's got to be Tony Stark, right? He's clearly has the biggest arc. He's had the, he was the first, which helps because he got three solo movies that didn't involve anybody else. (laughs) Captain America's solo movies started becoming team ups after the first one. Um, but yeah, these character moments, man, they're so good. Like Rocket becoming a captain was really cool to me because <laughs> like, in the first two Guardians movies, that's a big thing. He always jokes and wants to be captain and here he is. He gets to be captain and I feel like that's why he lets Thor call him rabbit. It's a joke. It's hilarious because in every movie he gets called something else, mm-hmm. but he doesn't fight back. He takes it every single time and I think it's because he's letting it go because Thor is calling him cat. He's getting something. Out of this deal. And so it, to me, that's character development. Like that, I'm seeing a new side of Rocket I haven't seen yet. And I just and, loved it. Yeah. And I'm three movies in with seeing these Guardians. And I still cannot hear Bradley Cooper's voice in Rocket's voice. He, it's just, yeah. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. If they're digitizing it in some weird way or if he's just that good, but I cannot he, hear he Bradley Cooper. First of all, he is that good. I, I truly believe, and this may be a completely, you know, hashtag un, what's the, what's the hashtag? Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, no, like terrible opinion, hashtag, whatever. Unpopular opinion. Yeah, hashtag unpopular opinion. But I think this is Bradley Cooper's best work of any movie. I think his voice work in Rocket, to me, is his best work. I would put it up against anything else he's done. And we're not going to debate it because you're probably going to talk about Silver Lion's Playbook. And we have a whole episode where we talked about that. But I, (laughs) I really love his work as Rocket as well. So, okay, let's get into this. 
speaking of the Guardians, first of all, they feature heavily. I had a friend whose review of this, fellow Seattle critic, um, who led off his post about this movie by saying that the Guardians, as always, steal the show. And in a lot of ways, I feel like they do. Because they get some of the most lighthearted moments when they're on screen. There's not a lot of joking going on. You know what I mean? Like with the Avengers, it seems like most of their moments are kind of more dramatic. And sure, of course, the Guardians have their drama too. But there's a lot of, there's just, that's the nature of that group is it's very lighthearted in nature. Yeah, so, but I, yeah. I, think I think that's kind of unfair though, because most of the, it, it it's really about home field advantage for them. I mean, everything takes place in space. That's a good point. The very beginning of the movie, that's the really the only time, the, the very beginning and the very end with the, with the extra scene at the end are the, really the only times we get to see earth. And so I think when you, when you, when you see those big, bold, letters come up to say space you're like okay it's guardians time because that's what they are they are guardians of the galaxy not of earth and so having this big playground to play in it's going to be about them that's fair that's a very good point a very good reason why it takes that tone i definitely think it takes that tone um and i think that they do feature heavily in a way and and it's fun it's fine by me for me it's seeing these interactions. These are new groupings of characters. And boy, just how they put these guys together gave us all different weird, unique conversations to witness. We get Thor and Rocket, the rabbit, which I now keep calling him rabbit. I even wrote in my notes rabbit on accident at one point when I was trying to write Rocket because now I'm just hearing rabbit all over. The- it-, it was such a great sequence, right? having those characters get to know each other. Um, I love Rocket saying he wants to go to the weapon place because he's like, oh, of course, Rocket wants to go get a big weapon. But two of the, the most interesting relationships I think that we got out of this movie were Stark's interactions with Doctor Strange and Stark's interaction was with Quill. Um, for me, I see Tony Stark and... Stephen Strange as the exact same person <laughs> for the most part. And so when they kind of go at each other, it's almost like they're going at a mirror image of themselves. Do you feel that way about them or well, how different? I, I think the intent, the intentionality between all three of those characters, Quill, Strange and Stark are meant to give us that visual representation of the same person existing in three different environments. Tony Stark, the billionaire, Strange, the mystic arts guy, Quill, the swashbuckling uh, galaxy rover or whatever he is, pirate. But the attitude is the same in all three of them. It's arrogance. It's I'm right, and I'm going to show you that I'm right because I'm the smartest guy in the room. And each person, all three of those guys, are the smartest guy in the room for different reasons, but they're still so arrogant. And it's like ego fighting, ego fighting, ego. But seeing the three of them together and seeing how that same big giant head, <laughs> those three giant heads coming together, fighting not only each other, but then fighting Thanos, it is, it's wonderful to see. It's, it's like this wish list of like, dude, what if Dr. Oh, and I'm like, well, here it is right. right there, right? And, you know, what if Captain America ran into Groot, which I thought was one of my favorite lines when he gets introduced by Thor. <laughs> He's like, 
I'd like to introduce you to my friend Tree here. And, and he, of course, he goes, I am Groot. I am Groot. And he goes, I am, I am Steve, Steve Rogers. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So oh, it is. War gives us the chance to kind of live in that what if world that was so popular back in the 80s and 90s with Marvel Comics. It gives us that chance to say, hey, it'd be cool to see this person and this person side by side. And here it is. We've gotten that. So again, that's another point of of thumbs up for me in that the Russo brothers have said, let's bring in this part of the Marvel comics world that people loved growing up back in the 80s and 90s. I'd like to believe that they did that for a reason. Oh, I think so. I mean, everything they've done has been so intentional and purposeful leading up to this. I can't, I have to believe it's all been well-planned and just intricately put together like a puzzle. That's what it feels like to me. And you're right. Those interactions are just so much fun. I mean, when Thor meets group, Groot, you know, Groot's talking and Thor responds and they're like, you speak Groot? And he said, it was an elective. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so dumb. Like, this is the God of Thunder. Like, come on. He's talking about a high school elective. Look, and we may get into this, but let me just say this, that Chris Hemsworth, he is on full display with his range of acting. You know, one of the issues I had but didn't really have with Ragnarok was the amount of humor. But man, he's hilarious. And then you see him in this, in his in a dramatic, as dramatic as you can be in a superhero movie. He is just phenomenal. I mean, the the amount of ability that he has to be funny and be serious, all in a self contained film like this, is just great. So he's he's become one of my new favorite actors, and I, I can't wait to see what other stuff he's in. Yeah, standout for me as well. In fact, I just rewatched probably his other best performance up to this point before this podcast. I rewatched the movie Rush, which oh, yeah. I love, and he's phenomenal in it. And it, again, I think like that would be my standout performance for him other than this movie. And this is easily his best performance as Thor. It is so emotional. And boy, does he bring it. I mean, you're right. He crushes the soul with the weight of what he's dealing with. And it's awesome because when you're thinking about Thanos as a being with a gauntlet and how they're actually going to defeat him, even just thinking about it logically, you know that 90% of these heroes can't do anything against him. Scarlet Witch is the most powerful Avenger other than Thor. So you know she has some weight to throw around. But really, we all know that Thor has to be a big big part of this or they can't win because he's a god and he is and it, and, it, and it wears on him all the way up until that point where he attacks thanos and man that moment where he thinks he's won and then doesn't is just Ugh. so crushing we'll, we'll talk about the climax more but cheat code i right agree there. with you on hemsworth's performance 100 um the thing i loved about tony and quill the most the the scene that i think i liked was when they have Thanos wrapped up and they're pulling him down and they're trying to pull the gauntlet off, Mantis has put him to sleep. And it's when Tony or when Quill goes up and realizes that Gamora has been killed. And Tony is saying, don't do it. I need you here with us. Don't give in to this. Mm-hmm. Do not rage. Do not act out in vengeance and rage. The irony of this scene to me with Tony telling Peter not to, to act irrationally out of emotion when all we've seen from Tony over the last three movies of his own and all over over his whole arc 
is generally Tony acting irrationally out of emotion mm-hmm. was just a beautiful way to give us a, a sense of like both growth in Tony and also kind of that cringe moment of, gosh, we know this isn't going to, you know, like it's going to happen again. And, but we understand where Peter's coming from, just like we've always understood where Tony was coming from. Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful scene and it's one that's expected. I mean, you see what's coming, but you've got, you've gotten so invested in, well, the whole movie, but in particular this moment, because this is kind of the big, this is the most screen time that I think Thanos has with opposition before the quote big showdown near the end. I think it's much better. It's much more than that too. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Because you've got probably the people that this planet Titan, this whole kind of arc or sequence was where I expected Tony to die. Like I expected him. And they did sort of. It started that they started the process and then they teased us. Yeah. I was like, come on. And I, I'm like you, I don't, wish people would die, but I'm like, come on, it started with Tony. What a great way to end it. You know, that kind of thing. And, but it, it's powerful. It really, really is. Um, last on the Avengers, I guess for the moment is the one thing I wanted to mention is also Groot. Groot kind of doesn't have a lot to do in this one. He's, he's video games. really in the background. He's playing video games, which of course is, of course is it's funny. It's yeah. hilarious because he's teen Groot. And so we all relate to this. My son thought this was great, but the two moments he has those, those I am Groot and I am Steve Rogers moment. Um, and then, well, there's a moment, you know, this is my friend, the tree, I think. And he, you know, shoots and he's like standing there with his arm through like three or four or five aliens, which is pretty cool. <laughs> but the other one is where here we have Thor, who has just taken the full force of a star and needs Stormbreaker, which is awesome. By the way, this, another part of what makes this story so epic this moment of Thor having to go get this new weapon that can defeat Thanos. Cause he's got to replace his hammer. This legendary Stormbreaker is so much like a Lord of the Rings moment for me where yeah. like Aragorn is going to reforge the sword, right? Like you need that special weapon. This is a fantasy trope and Thor has to go through this incredible trial to get it. And he's struggling to survive and, um, the dwarf whose name I think is in the notes. I don't know, whatever it is. He says, um, you know, we need a handle and you just see Groot kind of get up and go over there. I thought Groot was going to die, Patrick. And I was emotional. Like I was getting chills and I got chills several times in this film. This was one of them. I thought Groot was going to have to die because as soon as he, he got up, I said, Oh, internally, I was like, he's going to become the handle. But I thought that was going to cause him loss of life. Mm-hmm. So luckily I got both the epic moment of Groot becoming the handle and not losing Groot. But <laughs> I just thought that was so cool because now forever, if you think about it, like Groot is a part of Stormbreaker, this epic legendary. Well, oh, it's just so freaking awesome. At the very least, what that tells me is that every character is important in some way, shape or form and necessary. But, yeah. Nobody's thrown away here. Nobody's used for filler or for fodder. It's all purposeful as we mentioned and it infinity war gives fans an opportunity to love their characters i think that the amount of balance that we see here if you love iron man he gets his moment if you love groot he gets his moment if you love spider-man he gets his moment i mean they're they're all on full display for fanboys and just love lovers of just these 
characters to completely just gush over. Well, unless you're me and you love Ant-Man. What I'm saying is that for the <laughs> most part, these major characters that have been around, you're going to you're going to gravitate towards one or the other. My my guys on the small screen, Daredevil is is not a part of this world, at least not on the big screen, and I have no problem with that because my my fallback is the Hulk. So any chance I get to see Bruce Banner, Hulk do their thing is fantastic. But I love the fact that these characters all are being taken care of and they're being given value to the, to the fans and to the story. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, and moving, moving on through some of them, Spider-Man, for example, I watched um, Spider-Man homecoming again the night before I saw infinity war for the second time. And it really hammers home how well his narrative flows into this because he's got this relationship with Stark. That's Mm -hmm. how he gets started. It's recruited. And so for him to show up, the dialogue, he's he's become my second favorite character in the MCU or third, I guess. Cap Cap is kind of like a default, but like other than Ant-Man, it's Spider-Man for me. He's so great in his quippiness throughout the way that he's battling and it's just like, you know, should I do this, Mr. Stark? And in, in the words he's using is so great. And then his di- his dialogue, man, just when he meets people, when he sneaks his way onto the ship and, mm-hmm. you know, he says, well, you know, I'm Peter, by the way. And he says, oh, I'm Dr. Strange. Oh, we're using, we're using made up names. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm Spider-Man. And then he, yeah. he tries to like look all hard, like oh, I'm a big bad man. That moment was great for me. Um, Stark coming up to him at the end of that moment and just very casually knighting him mm-hmm. and saying, okay, kid, you're an Avenger now. That was a powerful moment because Stark in Homecoming kind of put this little play on a hole at the end of the film, right? Where he kind of asks, pa- uh, not Patrick, asks Peter if he wants to be an Avenger. I want to be an Avenger. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Well, so did Peter, but Peter turned him down. And he said, you know, I know I need to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man right now. Yeah. So I loved those interactions. Well, I think what you have is is Tom Holland as an actor and his youth really sells the Spider-Man that that I think we want to appreciate. Look, I, I'm always going to love Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Hashtag unpopular opinion um, for, for different reasons than people like, you know, Tobey Maguire. But what I think Tom Holland does is he fits in this world. His his youthful physique, his youthful facial expressions, whatever you call it, he's a young dude, and he feels like a young, naive Spider-Man who's ambitious. And that's what Spider-Man is. That's, an, that's a strong element of who Spider-Man is. And there's a great line where Tony is arguing with him. He said, you didn't think this through. You didn't. He said, no, I did. I did. I, did. I totally did. I totally did. And you think he's just throwing smoke. And he ends up saying, look, and I wish I could remember the line specifically. He said, I can't be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood to go back to. Mm-hmm. If there's no neighborhood. And I'm like, that's what, that's what he would say. That's yeah. a Spider-Man. That's a Peter Parker line. That's nobody else. And I don't think anybody but Tom Holland could make that line work. Agreed. Because of the fact that he's, he's so young. And again, he's not there for comic relief. I mean, he is a very important part of the story, but you get the tone, you get the sense of this is Spider-Man and all these characters fit. And it they do that, that comes from 10 years 
of molding and developing and creating for us to say, that's my Spider-Man or that's the MCU Spider-Man. I'm so grateful that Sony and Marvel have this, have this partnership now because I think for the first time we actually see two studios that say, you know what? We want to make a great product, make a lot of money, but we want to make a great product. And I love that. So kudos to Sony and Marvel for, holding hands in this and making it work. And hopefully it works out the same with Fox now that they've got the X-Men because yeah. I would love to see I love the tone of those stories. I didn't like the last film as much, but the ones the two before that in that new trilogy are mm-hmm. incredible and and that's a great cast. And even if they started over, if they need to or whatever, I just would love to see this all build to where I mean my daughter said that to me after this movie. She was she said I want Psylocke to show up in infinity war. Like she wants X-Men. She's like, I want the X-Men to come. Well, now we have the potential for that to occur. And so here's the trust that I have now, or have not have now I've had the trust, but here's the trust that I have in the MCU that has been confirmed with infinity war is the fact that you can make a natural progression of these other characters, fantastic four X-Men, these characters that are owned by Fox. And you can essentially just carry this story on. Look, not to tease the ending, but all I could think of at the end of this was three words, no more mutants. If you're familiar with House of M listeners, you know that- Don't that's... spoil that, by the way, because I haven't read it all, and that's probably first on my list. Okay. Well, this is it's the event that leads to House of M. So in any case, Scarlet Witch is the key player in that. Oh, yes. So, I know that part. So it would not surprise me- if at some point in 2025 or however long the MCU is going to live, which yeah. I think is probably going to be forever, that we see that storyline. And what I love is the fact that that storyline is probably going to be just as good as what we're experiencing now with Infinity War. That's because- true. I forgot about that crossover. That that would be a perfect way to do it. Yeah. So it's, it's all about her bending reality. Exactly. I mean, she's gotten such a progression of her character over the last several years, beginning with uh, with Ultron and then leading into this, that it makes a lot of sense for the events of Infinity War to carry over into the events of House of M. Totally agree. And actually, let's let's say her next. Let's go through her. So she envisioned that was something I was not expecting Mm-mm, was a, a love story between the two of them. But she has one of the most strong arcs that of this film that's self-contained from the start you know, with her vision kind of trying to decide what they were going to do. They've, they've gone away for a little while. Are we going to stay together? Are we going to go back? And her having to make that ultimate choice of killing someone she loves. This was so tragic to me. I mean, there's a couple moments in this movie. This is one of them. Having her go through killing vision only to have him come back and then be taken away again crushed me like i couldn't imagine how she must feel in that moment so it's awful is what it is it's awful and had we not had that early on interaction that intimacy with them which by the way led to that one of my favorite fight sequences the one that introduced um seasoned cap as i like to call him bearded cap Beard again. Yeah. And I'm calling him season because, you know, he's got the longer hair and the full beard and whatever. And, but I think between, between vision and, and Wanda, it didn't take much for me to believe in their relationship. It didn't take much to believe that they cared deeply for each other, even with that having a lot of backstory 
So at the end, having that moment happen, it was just awful is the only word I can really think of. I can't think of a better word for that. Yeah. And I'm excited because again, she's the most powerful probably of all of the earthly Avengers. And so I am waiting still for that moment where we get to see her really unleashed. Right. Mm -hmm. I also love Okoye's line about her when when she looks over after, after uh, Wanda comes down and like, (laughs) where is she? She's like, why was she up there? (laughs) <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? Like, and, and everybody in the audience is kind of thinking, yeah, it's pretty true. But for me, Vision has always been like a throwaway character. I didn't love Age of Ultron. And he's just kind of not really been in much other than that. But boy, did I like him here. I thought Paul Bettany did a great job and really sold that internal torment and internal struggle of like Westworld, not knowing if you're real or not. Yeah. Um, trying to figure out, do you have a soul? And are you worthy of saving yeah, cool arc. Paul Bettany as an actor impresses me. Um, overall, just in the things that I've seen him in, I think he's just fantastic. And aside from the fact that he can hide his mind, his 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 stone as the as a human character, that's pretty fantastic. But yes, he. I, I th- and I think some of it has to do with seeing the humanized, the human form of him gives me more connection with him he, uh, because he doesn't feel, he doesn't seem AI-esque. So I think that's what helps me, helps sell me on his relationship with Wanda. And I, it makes me wish that I had maybe a solo vision movie or at least some kind of s- substantial arc that existed maybe before this so that I could get to know him because you're right. All we have is Ultron and that's pretty much it. And before that, he was Jarvis. So it's just one of those yeah, things. Yeah, like a culmination of everything. But I, I think if, if I had any kind of nitpick, which this isn't really, this is really more of a wish list, is to see more of him prior to this to just kind of get more of his character. Totally. Well, the other OG Avengers we have are Cap, Falcon, Natasha, and then to some extent Rhodes. There's not a lot for them in this movie. And I think that's fine because they've had the spotlight a ton of the time already. And so I understand that. I also understood that Black Panther didn't have a ton of spotlight here. And I think that that was intentional because, I mean, we are fighting in Wakanda. We get moments, cool moments, of course, but we just had a full movie. So why would you feature him in a major screen time role? Um, I think that that's probably on purpose, mm-hmm. but the cool, the cool fight scene where Cash, Cap shows up, I can tell you when you see his outline, coming in the shadow behind that train. That was one of my chill moments. And and these are the chills that I had epic chills where I truly feel like tears welling in my eyes. Cause that is the feeling I got from this film. It's, it's an epic. And so that was awesome. When he appears his line to uh, the Senator, when he's in there talking with Rhodes and <laughs> the Senator's like, you know, telling him he has some balls for showing up and he's like, I'm not looking for forgiveness and I'm way past asking for permission. I fist pumped because I was like, <laughs> yes, that's my cat. Like, that's him, right? That's our guy. Right. And he's, that's why we follow him. And that's why we want everyone to follow him. So that was really cool. Uh, man, I, the other, he doesn't, he doesn't have a ton. I, I really love the quick shot of him during the fight with Thanos where he comes running in and slides in and uppercuts. That's pretty freaking OG right there. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they don't get a ton in this film. Peter Dinklage, did you catch that 
kind of fun little cameo and why that was such a big deal. Peter Dinklage with as as the giant short man. <laughs> I just I, I didn't. I mean, again, it's probably something that that. So Game of Thrones wise, right, it just the right. fact that he is a playing a giant dwarf. Okay, is amazing. Like he's a dwarf <laughs> playing a giant dwarf who's a blacksmith, which is a very Game of Thrones esque type of thing. It just I thought it was amazing and such a cool way to use his character as an actual comic book character. One of the first things I did after the movie was look him up to see if he actually existed because I wanted to know more about Nevadalir and that whole forge area. And sure enough, just like in Thor, there's these dark elves, which mm-hmm. we see a, a character, a female dark elf in this one. That's a lackey for Thanos. There's a race of dwarves that run this forge. Yeah. So he's, I mean, considering a side character, it got me thinking about another character that I, 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 I saw his name on screen in the cast list. And I was like, Whoa, was he the, and Benicio del Toro, was he the, he's he the collector, the, the collector. That's right. Because I'm thinking who in this universe have I seen on the big screen right now that looks weird? Oh, it must be the collector. Okay. That's Benicio del Toro. That would be the only like default position I can take because he's such a goofy looking dude. I I didn't even notice him as the collector. I mean, and I, again, very I mean, small moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, is this like, is this like the last Jedi where he just kind of wandered on set and people are like, let's just give him some lines. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's the same kind of thing with this one. It's like, Hey, there's Benicio del Toro. Let's put him in the movie. There's so many of them. It does. <laughs> you can almost feel that way. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So we talked about no Ant-Man, no Hawkeye. They're both under house arrest apparently, uh, due to the accords. So that's interesting. I'm excited to see how they play it at the end, uh, the end game. Because we know that they're going to have to appear at some point, right? I don't know what the choice to leave them out was, whether or not it was scheduling, filming. Um, I well, assume Ant-Man and Wasp will be happening kind of at the same time as this film and will end about the same time as the end of this film. That's yeah, I would guess. think so. That, when you asked that question, like, why was he not in? I would say two words, July 2018. The fact is, nothing in the trailers for that movie indicated this big epic thing that was going on. So this may actually take place before or after or some, well, it wouldn't take place after cause they, well, anyway, so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I think it, it didn't surprise me that Ant-Man was not in this. Right. Well, I, I'm hoping those two come back. Otherwise everybody was pretty much there. Um, yeah. You know, some side characters from Thor Ragnarok, Valkyrie wasn't in it. Korg wasn't in it, but yeah, I mean a lot there. There's so many, it's just unbelievable. All right. Thanos. Let's talk about Thanos. So many folks, myself included, have said this is a Thanos movie. Thanos starts the film. Thanos ends the film. The beginning and the end. This is Thanos' arc. And you could almost take this entire film as a hero's journey for a villain, in a sense. The way that Thanos progresses. So tell me your thoughts on Thanos. What did you think? Because I loved him, and I loved every second of it. Well, I was incredibly surprised at how much I enjoyed him as a villain. Uh, One of the criticisms that you probably hear from a lot of Marvel movies is very flat villains. Usually they are served as agency to get our hero from point A to point B. And I can see that. I think that's – but I think that's a weakness with a lot of your superhero movies. It's really difficult unless you're doing something that's somewhat grounded – to craft a villain that's going to be equally as 
important or have equal weight than your your hero does. And again, if we think about what the MCU has been doing, it's been focusing on our heroes. And this is the first time, this is the time in which there was intentionality focusing on the villain. The villain took center stage. And so I would definitely agree that this is a Thanos movie. I don't think that I was nearly as surprised at Josh Brolin's performance. Look, he's on par with me with Andy Serkis when it comes to his, the way in which he emotes as a digital character. I, I, I could, I trust him as an actor, but seeing him as a purple dude making these facial expressions, it was something of just a marvel for me. No pun intended. I, <laughs> I see, I see Thanos as someone who rounds himself out because of Josh Brolin's performance in this. Yeah, he's absolutely. No, he knocks it out of the park. I mean, he, it's incredible. And it's such a far cry from some of the initial stuff we saw mm-hmm. for this film. I don't know if you were aware of it, but they had some examples of him in a costume and they had some CGI work that was real, kind of leaked or released that really looked bad for Thanos. And so I was pleasantly surprised with how he turned out uh, in the end. And, and yeah, his performance is just amazing gave him so much emotional weight because we got to see different emotions on his face and it gave him purpose this is a a movie that didn't feel like you were giving our villain a yeah uh curl your mustache kind of motive his motive halfway through i'm going well that kind of makes sense and I, i i was reading through some of the facebook discussion group comments uh, throughout well not just ours but in other parts of the of the social media network in that he was sort of being compared to Hitler and in in that he was crafting a way to get rid of a certain well like a partial genocide and i don't remember who responded but i agreed with them in that i wouldn't make that comparison to Hitler because Hitler's motive was i'm superior these people are inferior. We need to get rid of them. Whereas Thanos is like, I'm just trying to do population control and I'm trying to better the entire planet or or better the entire universe by diminishing the population. And he even said, I do it randomly. I don't take all the rich people or all the people that have everything and keep them and throw away all the poor people. It was a general, like I want to get rid of half and while I don't morally agree with that, I kind of do because I see what he's doing. Now, where that comes from, I don't know. I don't know if the movie answers that. I don't know where his motive comes from. Was he starved as a child and he felt like he needed to right this wrong? I don't know. And Oh, he tells you. He tells yeah. us. So I, I didn't get, I didn't. Okay. Well, that. I'll clarify. So Titan, his planet, ran into overcrowding. That's which, right. is, okay. which is, of course, probably meant to give us thought about the Earth. That's how these stories work, right? His planet runs into overcrowding, and he suggested that they kill off half of them, and no one wanted to listen to him. No one would believe him. They thought he was crazy, he said, and insane. Okay. And so his planet died, which is why we see it, it ended. It did not make it through this catastrophe and this ultimate starvation and everything that came with the overcrowding. 
that's why Titan failed as a planet. Gotcha. So because of that, he took his plan and wants to now right that wrong by taking it forward into the universe. I gotcha. Okay. And it's, and it's for him, it's, he says, he says it's mercy. He calls it mercy, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. But like you, this is what I found so compelling about him is that I almost want to believe it. Like I, I know it's wrong and there's no question about it. Like it's genocide. It's wrong. You can't, but what if he called you out though and said, I'm choosing you to come alongside me. Would you accept? Well, of course, because I wouldn't want to die, but the thing that's interesting to me about Thanos's plan is he call, it's fair. It's like a two face type of situation where he flips mm-hmm. the coin. He calls it it's unmitigated, unplanned. He doesn't pick and choose. And that was what was so special about his relationship with Gamora is that he chose her. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that more in a little bit, but he is trying to evaporate half the universe, not based on who he wants to stay, but randomization which is what gives me the piece of almost saying that makes sense if you're gonna do it that makes sense on how to do it so this is where i get disconnected a little bit is let's say his plan goes through and he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish what benefit does it do him his benefit is legitimately all he wants he wants to go sit and watch the sunrise or sunset and know that he has saved the universe in his mind. He, it is not about him. There is no personal motivation. And I believe somebody asks him that at one point, and he says that. He's, he says, you know, my goal is simply to have this happen. And then I'm just going to sit and be at peace. That's all he wants. He's not doing it to gain control and go rule the universe, which is what is makes him so fascinating to me personally. Because all the villains want ever is to be in control or to right. have something that they don't. Thanos doesn't. He's on a mission. He is on like a spiritual religious crusade. So, he is a hundred percent bought into. So in a way, it would almost be like the opposite of what Alfred says that some men want to watch the world burn. I guess he's a man or he's someone who wants to watch the world thrive. He does. Exactly. You're exactly yeah. right. His way of doing it is twisted and warped and awful and wrong. But that's what his goal is. And and that's what makes him just, gosh, such an incredibly cool villain. Yeah. Um, he's so much deeper than anything else we could get. And unexpected when we first get introduced to him at the end of Avengers. And then when we get a little bit more of him in Guardians is that we sort of, we know what's coming because we read the words on the interwebs and we find that we get something unexpected from him, that he's the first villain Maybe in, I don't know, Marvel, DC, whatever, in any universe that we've seen on the big screen that feels different from other villains. Totally. With with the exception of maybe the Joker in Nolan's Dark Knight, I think that he stands out as one of the most compelling villains. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Totally. You can say best or whatever, but I think he's definitely one of the most compelling. Yeah, I think so. I think unique is a great word for it because there is nothing else like him. Yes, Heath Ledger has been the best Joker. I think that's pretty undeniable, but we've seen Jokers in our lifetime aplenty in various ways that have also done, you know, we've had good Jokers in different iterations of DC comics, but 
regardless of whether we think Keith Ledger is the best or not, but we've never seen anything like Thanos right? in terms of a villain. So, all right, action. So this is another criticism area and probably the one criticism I would actually agree with that I've seen on the film is that the action is not super memorable. And I, I have to agree. I do remember some scenes. There are moments, but there's nothing that is that's there's not much that stands out to me. The one moments, one of the two moments that really stick in my brain are star Lord running Dr. Strange, making portals for him steps, flipping over Thanos's back, planting the bomb, falling backwards, flipping him off saying, boom, as he disappears into a portal. I wanted to jump out of my seat. I was so amazed and just enthralled at that moment. Let me defend the action sequences in the way in which we defend the large amount of characters and the lack of perceived character development. I think that because we have so much action, it's really difficult to single one out. I think they were all fantastic. And look, I will go on record as saying I'm the guy that doesn't see a lot of bad CGI. Like it takes a lot for me to go, oh, that wasn't great. For the most part, I'm like, oh, it was great. It was fine. Yes, nothing stood out to me, but because there was so much of it. I mean, there was action scene after action scene after action scene. The whole back half of the movie was nothing but action sequences. There were moments just like like Quill and his flipping off Thanos diving through the portal. But there were also great moments where one of my most memorable ones was when you had the essentially individual heroes going after Thanos and he was just basically pummeling them one by one by one by one when he throws hulk into the stone wall or whatever and like merges him yeah yeah like oh gosh what's the deal to me that but before we get to the big climax that's the full weight of, of thanos right there minus the fact that he could actually pull down a moon from titan to attack tony stark and i thought that was pretty epic too okay good point i actually take it back because now that now that i hear you say that and i started trying to rack my brain i actually am thinking of them and they are coming to me so the moon had come to my mind that is amazing he does he disintegrates a moon and turns it into meteor shower like that's incredible the whole sequence of on titan the fight on titan the whole thing is awesome with just them working together to try and bring him down and like pull the gauntlet off, which is such a cool plan. And I love Mm -hmm. Quill going, that's my plan. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's so (laughs) goofy, man. He's so goofy. Um, so that is definitely there. You get the, you get the girl fight, um, against the dark elf, which that one was kind of passable to me, but I like the moment. I like, you know, Natasha saying she's not alone. And then of course getting blood spattered on her. And just saying, and and credit credit to the choreographers. I mean, you got a lot that you have got to put together. So I'm not going to criticize a movie of this scale for its lack of memorable action sequences because there were so many. I'm going to say it's memorable because there were so many and all of them were really above average. Well, and Thor's hammer too. When, when Thor comes down and that hammer is spinning through the entire battlefield. (laughs) Just like thing, 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 thing. Like just a pinball machine, wasting like groups of care. And then, and then when he does the the smash with the the axe, I guess not hammer, and it just you know lays them all out in a circle blast like a nuclear bomb would do. That right. was pretty awesome as well. So yeah. yeah, you're right. I think that it does it does hold up. I mean, anytime CGI wise and 
action-wise in general, anytime Thanos used the gauntlet, I thought it was really cool. The oh, way that was, they yeah, the purple fire and then the way that reality kind of stone changed reality. Well, and I didn't tune in to really his major power until Strange goes, don't let him close his fist. And that became a real central point for a little while that every time after he said that, I was like, how are they going to keep his fist open? How are they going to keep his fist open? And you see, you know, you see Strange's cape doing its thing. And then you see Tony holding it open. And it's just all these different things that that add up to build that tension for the moment that he is going to close his fist. It will happen. There is no way that this movie is going to end without him closing his fist. Well, closing his fist is when he activates a stone. It's the snap, which let's go ahead and just get there to the climax. The snap is the thing that kills everybody. And that's that they say that early in the film, there's a a mention of him, you know, being able to snap his fingers and then Gamora is explaining what he Mm -hmm. wants to do. And she says something about, you know, all he's got to do is snap his fingers. If he gets all the stones and then he can wipe out half of existence. The closing of the fist is when he activates it. And so anytime he closes it, he can use like, that's how you use the stones. Okay. Um, but yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it draws your attention to it, right? Because like, before that, it's just, it's happening. And when I watched it the second time, I noticed every single time he activates a stone, you see him close his fist, which is so cool to like n- notice, but you don't realize it when you're watching it the first time because mm-hmm. your attention is on a million different other things. Right. Um, but so this climax happens and we've been given this foreshadowing that if he snaps his fingers, this is what's going to happen. So for me, I know when he does it and when we see it in the camera and Thor is realizing what's about to happen as Thanos is giving those last words, he says, you should have gone for my head. It's like, there's so much heaviness in me watching it. Cause I know what's about to take place. And I, I don't know what it's going to look like yet on the screen. And I don't know which half are going to be gone. Wow. I felt like this was so well done. The lead up to it, the effects that take place, the way that they turn into dust. I'll tell you, I thought for my money, this was the best depiction of what the rapture or resurrection could look like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, of any film I've ever seen. Like it, that is what I thought of immediately was, wow, what if half of existence all of a sudden disappeared? That's what would happen if all the Christians went up to heaven and um, to be with Jesus. And then, then what would the other people remaining think, you know, and we get a little bit of that with Fury and Maria Hill for a split second of like, what's going on? Why is there no one in this car? What, what is happening? Yeah. And that fascinates me, but yeah, the whole climax. Whew. As I was watching it, and the way in which it was depicted, I think there was definitely a nod to the biblical concept of dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, dust. you know, from, from the dust you were, you were formed and you will, that's where you will go. There's definitely, I think some, some spiritual implications. There are some religious implications, some biblical implications there, but what surprises me is as I was watching the individuals, the different folks just essentially just fade away. I'm thinking in this moment, and I think 
I want to say Hannah Long had similar thoughts to me. She really kind of articulated them better than I did. She said, I couldn't help but think about the franchise and think about what I already know about what could potentially be coming and how the MCU is going to continue. And you mentioned stakes earlier and how you kind of wanted certain people to die or people to die in general. And that's been sort of the consensus before people go in, who's going to die, who's going to die because we know contracts are ending. We know people are kind of putting up their, you know, their, their whatever's their shields or their, or their armor uh, because they're done playing these characters. And oftentimes we think about how movies sort of help that along. And it kind of surprised me because I'm expecting Cap to fade away. <laughs> I'm expecting Tony to fade away. I'm expecting these original Avengers to be part of that dusty group. <laughs> and what I see are the opposite. T'Challa. <laughs> T'Challa. You see all these characters. You're like Spider-Man. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, they just had movies. What are you doing? And so I've got this conflicting thing happening in my head of like, how, what, and and then, and then at the end of this whole sequence, I'm like, well, I guess we're not going to see any solo sequels from any of these guys for at least a year, you know? <laughs> and I'm kind of frustrated with myself. I'm frustrated that I know what I know. And even though I don't know a lot, I'm frustrated that I know that there's going to be a continuation of this. And because in a lot of ways it can, and I stress the word can, had the potential to disappoint what I was feeling in that moment, to take away some of the emotional weight that I was feeling in that moment. It can have that ability, but it didn't. So I love that you brought that up. I was hoping we would talk about that. And I want to say how I feel about that too. I'm, I, when you mentioned Spider-Man, that was the one that got me the most. <sighs> Oh man, I, I can't even think about it without choking up. Just the way that Tom Holland, again, acting perfectly here, his face and his fear as he's laying there saying he doesn't feel good. And the way Tony goes to him as a surrogate father, continuing that arc between them. I mean, I, I literally am feeling like choked up talking about it because that was so, it was almost my connecting point. Just the way that Tony holds him and says, it's okay. It's okay. As he evaporates in his arms. Oh, that killed me. It just killed me. And then I know that other people with major connections to other characters, right? Like our friend Emmanuel from Eman's Movie Reviews, who did the Black Panther podcast with us. He stood up in his press screening and said, no. <laughs> Because he was so overwhelmed with emotion when T'Challa disappeared. So like we have such connection with these characters. We've grown into it. that it's It moves us. And with regards to that ending and with regards to knowing what comes after and it not allowing us to have the, or not the, it taking away the effect of the movie can have on us. I say this. I knew going into Lord of the Rings how the story went. I know that there are going to be dark times where our characters seem like they're not going to win. Okay. I know that when Gandalf dies, he's going to come back. 
it didn't take away the weight of seeing it happen cinematically for the first time. And what I like in this too is, again, it goes back to adapting the source material in a way that is accurate. When we read comics, you and I, we know that those characters are going to likely come back. Again, I think I said this in the beginning when I talked about stakes. They're going to they're gonna come back. They're going to have another person take up the mask or another person put on the costume. Or they're just going to undo everything with a time stone. The journey is what's awesome to me. Going through the emotional highs and lows of that, not knowing how it's going to resolve, I know that it will. But I also believe that we have lost some for good. And I think that there's such a perfect balance in this movie. For me, it works. I don't like to make comparisons to other movies. I know you and I don't. We like to kind of let movies stand on their own. But I want to call back to one of the criticisms I had from Justice League. And that was the short-lived absence of Superman. Very short. Very short. Half a movie. (laughs) Essentially, yes. One of the things that I I think is going to be valuable about this ending is the amount of time that we have to wait to get its resolution. Because the longer you wait, and there might be a finite sweet spot that we're going to figure out what that is. In this case, it's probably a year. We've got to sit and wonder what those repercussions are going to be. We've got to sit and wonder who's coming back. Is anybody coming back? Who's really dead? Who is going to be resurrected or <laughs> have their their time reversed? And I think that's got some power to it as well. I think that that's what gives the movie weight. Even though we know that there's going to be a continuation of this story, we don't know who the central characters are that are going to be in it. For all we know, the second half or this continuation of the story, Cap's going to die, Iron Man's going to die, and other characters may make their return in some way, shape, or form. But what that does for me is it reminds me that I'm not looking to see who's going to die and who's going to live. I'm looking to see how is this all going to resolve. Yes. And I think that's really what the important part is. I couldn't agree more with that. And it makes me not want a bit of knowledge. I don't want to read an article about this movie, the next one. I don't want to see a trailer. I don't want to see a teaser trailer. I don't want to see costumes. I don't want to know anything. And I pray that Marvel, who I'm pretty impressed with the way they were willing to to risk it and do what they just did in Infinity War. So I'm praying that they will be incredibly reserved about letting anything out. I mean, it seems like they know what they're doing because they were very upfront about Thanos demands your silence. They didn't want this to be spoiled. So I have to believe they're going to not give us a bunch of trailers for this part two that are going to tell us what's happening. Well, and this is where I think, look at 250 million, your opening weekend, you as a studio, and I'm, I'm just a lowly podcaster. You have an opportunity to change the game by trusting your product over your marketing. And I think Don Shanahan made a good comment. He said, it would make me incredibly happy if Marvel Studios didn't release a thing until opening weekend. Yeah. That it won't would, happen, though. I mean, it won't happen, but there's more of a chance that it would happen after this and after we can, the response. We can hope for extreme minimalization, though. 
I mean, maybe yes. there isn't a trailer. Maybe there's literally not a trailer. There could be posters. There could be black screens that say Avengers colon whatever the new title is. Yeah. Um, to do something without giving us scenes. And I, I really hope they go that route. Me too. What I think is awesome is, you know, Doctor Strange says in this movie, he sees 14,065,000 possibilities. And Tony says, how many do we win? And he says, one. And he seems to be such a key player in this narrative because he gives up the time stone willingly and he tells Tony, this is the only way. So he has seen the future. He knows how they have to win. And he takes those actions is what. So it has me just super curious because I don't know a lot about him and his powers and everything surrounding his whole history. But it has me super curious as to what it's going to be. Like, how is it going to resolve? I cannot wait to find out. Yeah, I can't either. It's it's just a lot to anticipate. And it's probably the first time in a while that I've anticipated a a follow-up film in a franchise like this. It's, me it too. It really has. Yeah, first time. It's, it's reinvigorated me into this genre and specifically the MCU. I want to go back and rewatch the movies now. I'm enjoying them more now that I have this kind of as a... I know where the story is going point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what it's done. The last thing before connecting point I want to bring up real quick is just that the, there are aliens jokes in this movie and footloose jokes in this movie. And I laughed really hard at them. I love the footloose jokes. <laughs> <laughs> is this still the greatest movie ever made? It never was. It was. <laughs> is Kevin Bacon on the team? Maybe he's on the team now. I don't know. Um, the <laughs> Avenger, maybe he's on the team now. I don't know. That was so great. But the, um, the aliens joke that, holland spider-man makes and then you know they blow out the airlock which sucks ebony maw out which is an aliens thing later on when stark has his weapon pointed at the face of i don't remember who i think it's quill or drax or somebody his arm gun thing looks just like a xenomorph head there's multiple times when his weapons look just like and they're pretty quick shots but i Mm -hmm. I have to believe it's intentional and also this movie released Opening night on Aliens Day, April 26th. So I'm wondering, <laughs> I am wondering if that was a coincidence or if Marvel is really just that freaking smart. I'm going to believe that they're that smart. I, I, and that I it was would, planned. Doesn't surprise me. One thing I wanted to ask you, because you're better at picking up these little things. Tony says something in New York when they're battling the guy that got sucked out of the airlock. Uh, I forget his name. It's um, Ebony, Ebony Maw. And he calls him something like a derogatory name and everybody in the theater laughed and I did not. And I can't remember what the word was. And I know that's really not a lot of information. Well, when he, if you're talking about when he and strange and Wong are all in a row, yeah, there's a couple different times where he makes cracks and calls them wizards. And I think that's what it is. He, he tells he, Pete, he's like, get back, you know, hang on kid. I'm you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. Well, no, it's, it's not a general, like oh. the wizard. it's a specific name that people laugh at, that people were laughing at. And I don't remember what it was. Oh, he calls him Squidworth. Who's Squidworth? SpongeBob SquarePants. He's okay. literally a squid character. Thank you. I yeah. did not pick up on that. Yeah, Sorry. That's, what that, that's okay. what that one was. Okay. Thank you. I can now laugh now because I'm like, ha ha, it's not part of the <laughs> Go look joke. him up and you'll, you'll laugh. You'll be, you'll, and you'll, you'll remember Ebony Maw and go, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, obviously we've gone long. We knew we were going to go long because we wanted to talk our butts off about this movie and it's been fun. But uh, are you ready for our connecting point? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. So connecting point. 
I'm just going to say that since we've avoided this talk, talking about it up to this point, people should probably realize what it's going to be. Uh, one of the, well, maybe not. They might think it was Loki's death actually, because we haven't talked about Loki's death. That was a pretty powerful moment for me real quick as a, a lead into a connecting point, I guess that has nothing to do with it. Um, I am curious about whether or not Loki is actually dead. I've heard a very good theory and explanation for a reason why he could not be. But I think that that will undermine the narrative extremely. And it would really upset me if he was alive. Well, it was something that when, when he died and then we saw the ship explode and I thought we lost the war too. That was the moment that I said, Oh my gosh, it just got real. We just lost two major characters. And then we see Thor, you know, becoming like a mosquito on the windshield and I'm like, okay, maybe that puts some doubt in my mind about Loki. And again, I'm not going to hope for death, but I, you lose the depth of Thor yeah, and exactly. his motive exactly. if, if Loki comes back. Agreed. He already died once. He doesn't need to die again. Yeah. There's, there's this line of thinking that says Loki is never going to be a good person and he's always going to be a trickster and worry about himself. And you can make the case that the events out as, as they play out would allow him to secretly get away. Or you can make the case that he truly is come full circle and he is making a sacrifice to save his brother in his mind. I and like that one. And I, like I, I want to believe that. And that's what I'm going to choose to believe. Yeah. But now real connecting points moving on with death. Gamora. Um, so Gamora has a crazy arc in this. I've always thought of her as a side character, honestly, and mm-hmm. even in the first two Guardians. Um, and so it's, it's amazing to have her come to the forefront of this narrative and be such an integral piece. I mean, we even get to meet young Gamora. And we see how strong of a character she was then, right? Why Thanos chooses her. That's a powerful moment when he's talking to her and he gives her the little knife and it, it turns her head away as he's committing genocide on her people. Ugh, that was creepy and awful. But when they get there to the soul stone uh, and he learns that requiring it or acquiring it requires a sacrifice, <laughs> according to that surprise cameo by Red School, by the way, wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I wasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much nobody. I, I not looked at my guy next to me. I was like, was that Red School? He's like, oh, yeah. Um, but the sacrifice, he says, is you have to lose something you love and what crushes me the most, I think, about how this scene plays out is Gamora's defiance in this moment where at first she laughs and she thinks that she's that he's gotten his comeuppance. She tells him that. She says, you're going to get what you deserve because you don't love anything. And, of course, you can see that amazing, perfectly CGI'd tears start to come down Brolin's very distraught face. Mm-hmm. And Skull says, he's not crying for you know you or whatever it is i can't remember if it's you or him um and he says i'm sorry little one i cannot ignore my destiny twice even for you and then of course it all plays out that is the most powerful moment for me in the movie by far i i was the tear up moment and i couldn't believe it was happening and i was just so devastated i think by the the almost like quick switcheroo by her trying to tell him he wasn't going to win to then trying to deal with it herself by taking her own life to then dying. That yeah. was the, and, and for me, Patrick, I think this is where Thanos became 
the best or he, he, he hit that top tier of the villains because he had an emotional moment that I bought and I actually had empathy for him for a moment, even in the midst of what he's doing. I couldn't disagree at all. I don't think that we've ever seen a villain in the Marvel cinematic universe or really anywhere in superhero movies who allows us to have empathy for him or her. We have hints of that occasionally. Most of the time we just have a, a yeah villain, but in a lot of ways, it's interesting that the soul stone wasn't the last one to be gotten. I mean, if, if it were me and I'm glad it wasn't me, I would have made that in terms of the narrative be the last one because that would have been the big climax. But of course, then we wouldn't have gotten what we got with the sacrifice of vision and everything like that. So to me, I think it, that scene as impactful as it was also reminded us that it was one significant death in a series of significant deaths throughout the entire narrative. This one just impacted our villain as opposed to a hero. And, and that's what made it different. I mean, you could have any one of the deaths in the, in the movie could have been a connecting point, but this is the only one where we felt for the villain. And that's something that we don't get a lot. And when you can do that in a franchise that has been notorious for not giving us a lot of round villains, it's a very big step. And I think the Russo brothers are to the MCU what Ryan Johnson is to the Star Wars universe for me. I trust those guys and the stories that they're trying to tell probably more than any other person. Maybe James Gunn in terms of their directorial Mm -hmm. abilities. I think that they have the ability to balance both comedy and tragedy in a way that allows us to both grieve and laugh in the course of two and a half hours. And that's very difficult to do. And a moment like this, we didn't do both. Obviously we did the one, but it wasn't something that we felt like was so heavy handed that it felt out of place. Like it felt perfectly in line with the rest of the movie. And it gave us a reason to care about Thanos, which I was not expecting coming into this one. Yeah, it's it's truly the most unique scene in the Marvel Universe for me. Um, it's not like anything we've seen in 18 movies before this. We had not experienced this kind of moment. Uh, and I don't think it could have gotten much worse unless maybe Pepper died. That That would have been pretty bad. I think, I think that, that would have, <laughs> that would have been, yeah, that would, that. that would have been bad. That's why we stayed off earth. We don't want people to die that we know on earth. You know, it's yeah, although we don't know what happened to Pepper. We don't know if she, uh, evaporated. I did have a, a fellow critic on mentioned something funny. He said, why aren't we talking about why Thanos thinks turning things into bubbles is so hilarious. <laughs> and he said, wouldn't it be great if instead of dust, when everybody died, they turned into bubbles instead. How hilarious would that have been? So, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that would have been, yeah, that's a different kind of movie. Yeah, that would well, be. I, I gotta tell you, after the second viewing of this, man, I have eaten this up. I have just not been able to something about it. I'm ready to go see it a third time. This doesn't happen very often for me. So, I am just grateful this exists. This is an epic that we've never seen before. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see it again. You said it 
early on in the podcast that when you have 10 years and 18 movies building up to this moment, this is a franchise unlike anything historically Hollywood's ever done. So I think it is right up there with the greatest of epics in, of course, the cream of the crop for its own genre because it's the only one that there is. So I love it and I'm so glad to have this feeling again because it makes me just want to read comics and get back in there. Well, good luck with that. (laughs) So away from it for so long. I don't know that I'm going to read comics again or stay on them, but just, I love having that feeling, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a good feeling. feeling. Yeah. It's, it's like how I felt at the beginning of the summer of what, 2012 when Avengers uh, finished up and I was like, that's awesome. It's the, I mean, it's like, this is going to be a great summer. It's, it's a movie that just, invites you to want to go back and not only see it, but just experience. This is summer at the movies right here. Infinity war is, is what you would call the summer at the movies. That's the experience you want to have for sure. Well, man, um, I guess that's it. Listeners. If you would like to talk to me further about what I've said here or about anything, give us your thoughts. You can reach me on Twitter at feeling film, Aaron, Or you can find me in our Facebook group, which you can get links to all over our social media profiles or just search for it on Facebook. We would love to have you come join that. There is a phenomenal and extensive spoiler thread going on right now uh, with well over 100, 150 or so comments. I don't know how many they're up to where people are talking about this movie. And of course, we're talking all movies all the time, all week long. And we would love to have you join us and give us your thoughts. Coming up, Patrick, we have uh, our May donor pick episode voting. That's going to be starting off here May the 1st and go through usually May the 10th. So there's still time if you want to join listeners, become a patron. Patron? That's not a word. That Well, it's, it's, the, age of, it's, it's the age of patrons. There's nothing to do with tequila. You could send us that. Um, this is uh, Go to <laughs> patreon.com slash feeling film, uh, and you can become a supporter to get votes or and or access to bonus content. Also, lastly, I just want to quickly introduce Jacob Neff. Jacob is a longtime listener, first time caller, uh, but he's also a active member of that Facebook group. He's been doing a post there every Sunday for many weeks now, and we have decided to bring him on the team officially. He's a staff member, if you will. He's going to continue doing that Sunday post in the Facebook group. It's been rebranded. It's called Weekly Rewind. And what he does is he's inviting us to share our favorite movie watches of the past week. It's a really fun thread. It's a great place to discover movies that might come onto your radar, something you want to throw on your watch list, or somebody says they saw something amazing and you want to talk about it with them. So we love that. And then he's also going to be doing a column every week called you should be watching. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And this column is going to cover streamable content and highlight films that are worth seeing at home. So stuff that you can find on Netflix or HBO or Hulu or Amazon, et cetera, video on demand type stuff. So he's excited about starting this up next week. We're excited about having him. He'll be on the podcast sometime in the summer, probably to do an episode with us so you can get to know him better. But if you're a longtime listener and you're part of our social media group, please you know, welcome him and uh, tell him congratulations because he's going to be a new great part of feeling film. Patrick, where can people find you? Uh, you can check me out at shoeless patch. I'm uh, on Twitter and Instagram, S H O E 
L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. Be sure to at me or tag me or whatever if you want to continue any of the conversation that we have had, whether from this week's episode or past episodes or future episodes. And speaking of future episodes, we have a couple of big ones coming up. There is the Connecting with Classics episode four. Uh, that would be Shane that we're going to be covering later this week. And we also are kicking off my official Summer of Anime. You may have heard rumors of that taking place. I'm going to be covering between 12 and 13 uh, anime features. I'm going to be checking them out, writing about them. And we're going to kick it off with epi- or with Minisode 41, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. So Aaron and I are going to have a, hopefully a great conversation about that. And we'll also be including a mini spoiler-free review of another anime feature called Mary and the Witch's Flower. So be sure to tune in and be ready to uh, listen when we uh, when we drop that episode. All right. Sounds good, man. I hope everyone listening has enjoyed this episode. We sure had fun, and we would really, truly love to hear what you think about Avengers Infinity War. So find us, seek us out, and share with us your thoughts. Until next time, especially in light of people out there with very negative opinions about blockbuster movies, <laughs> stay positive. And keep feeling film. <laughs> <laughs>